Uh, this is a sermon series on worry that kind of developed, it was going to just be one lesson, but the more I studied, the more I thought, I go, well, here's a part that really wasn't adequately developed the last lesson, so I want to pick it up in the third lesson. So I simply entitled the, the Problem of Worry, Part 3. What happens when you choose to pray? We spent a lot of time talking about why we shouldn't worry. Jesus said, don't do it, and that's enough reason. He said it three times in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, the Apostle Paul in the text we'll look at today. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 that we've just kind of alluded to, we'll focus on more today. He says, be anxious for nothing. Do not worry about anything. And he's not talking, as we've talked about, just genuine concern or responsibility. God is not trying to eliminate being responsible in your life. There's things we ought to be concerned about. We ought to be concerned about our health, our financial well-being, um, paying our bills. If you get negligent about that, other verses kick in <laughs> to send you back towards the center. But there's something about the way we think about things that's called worry in Scripture that God does not want us participating in. It's concern on steroids, <laughs> concern overreacting to the problems or the challenges that we face in life. And when we have the red light on the dashboard of our lives on all the time, when there's not a problem that deserves a bright red light, all of a sudden everything that is important, the things God wants us to focus on, get forgotten. That is helping other people, being a strong, solid force for good at home, being a good coworker, being a great neighbor. A lot of those things get tossed out the window when that red light of worry is always on. So we spent two weeks talking about getting rid of it and why we can't make it our friend. Don't make worry your friend. I've met some people that anxiety seems to be their friend. They talk about it, they engage in it, they traffic in it, it's with them all the time, it's a friend. But if you decide that worry, sinful worry, is not going to be your friend, you've got to replace it with another friend. You can't go friendless in life. Uh, you have to have another friend, and that friend is prayer. There is a biblical alternative for every sin that we can commit, and worry is a sin. But God doesn't just tell us, don't do it, and then get on with your life. He says, replace it with prayer. But we need to understand exactly what we're doing when we pray. Uh, we need to understand what we are doing, and we also need to understand what God is doing. And then we'll understand and appreciate prayer and we'll see what it does in the eternal view and in the God who created us. So what happens when you choose to pray? When you choose the other friend, uh, prayer instead of worry. Let's talk about what you do. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. The Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. In our scripture reading that we engaged in at the beginning of the lesson, or at the beginning of the service, I should say, we talked about how the Apostle Paul prayed. He talks about he thanks God every time for the Philippians in all his prayers. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. He speaks constantly about his praying either for them or for himself. So the Apostle Paul, even while he was in prison for the sake of the gospel of Christ, was still a man of prayer. He didn't let bitterness or a difficult life or an uncomfortable circumstance keep him from praying. So he is the one we want to go to when we see why prayer is important. Here's what he says to the Philippians 
and indirectly to us. Verse 6, chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just stop here. In these two verses, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, here's what you're to do as an alternative to worry, but he also presents what God is doing for you when you decide to let loose of that false friend of worry. Let's see what we're to do. First of all, he says in verse 6, do not be anxious. So that's where we've been the last two weeks on this. Getting rid of the old friend of anxiety. But he says, but in every situation, verse 6, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So let's isolate this responsibility of ours. He says, with prayer and petition, present your request to God. So instead of hanging on to worry, which means sleepless nights, nerve-wracked days, um, constantly preoccupied with things that might happen, he says instead, instead in everything, prayer petition, present those requests to God. First of all, let's just talk about prayer itself, the context of taking things to God. Prayer, first of all, is a privilege of believers. People that do not have faith or trust in God are never told to pray. They might pray in desperation, Lord, show me the way, and God will help them in that way. But as far as like, hey, taking this circumstance and that circumstance, there's really no reason for it because they don't trust or believe in the one that can do something about their problem. It's always believers that are told to pray. But it's a privilege. It's a privilege to pray. That is the context what you're doing when you pray is you're taking what is of great concern to you and very legitimate concern. And you're taking it to the one, first of all, who created you. Your heavenly father is your creator. He's omnipresent, which means he's there everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything about your life and my life. And he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful to do something about your problems and my problems. There is no person in better position to do something about your problems than the Heavenly Father. He made you. He loves you. Cast all of your care, Peter says, upon him because he cares for you. And your mom might care for you, and my mom loves me dearly. But some problems I, only I can work on because she's not in that great of a position up in Sacramento to address everything, but she loves me dearly. But your Heavenly Father loves you dearly and even more because He made you on purpose. He knows everything. Your parent, your spouse doesn't know everything about you, doesn't know all your thoughts, but your Heavenly Father does. Your Heavenly Father knows everything you're concerned about. And greatest of all, he's the one person in your life that's really able to do something about those external circumstances at work or in your family 
or your marriage or your neighborhood or at school, those things that are out of your control to do something about. He's the only one that can do something instantly about it or do something over time about it. So when you're praying, you're talking to the most important person with your problem. And there's always a role for friends, and there's certainly a role for family, and sometimes family can talk straight, <laughs> unlike anyone to you. There's a role for professional therapists. Uh, they can help you see clearly kind of what's going on, sometimes better than you can, you can see yourself. So never to say, well, I'm going to eliminate all those things. I don't want to talk to my family. I don't want to talk to friends, or I don't want to ever see therapists. Don't, don't go that far. They all have their place. But no one has a better place than your heavenly Father. He's invested the life of His Son in you. And don't think for a moment He's not thinking about what's important to you, what concerns you. He's here to see you through to the end. And He's not going to let what you're concerned about destroy you. He's not going to let something do you in. But there's something very important to our God about you telling Him about the problems He already knows about. And that's the amazing thing about our God. He already knows. But He wants you to tell Him. Not because He's playing some game with you or He's teasing you or taunting you in some way. But just like a loving parent wants to hear from the child. And our God who's given us free will wants His children to know that he cares and it means the world to our God that you will go to him to prayer rather than to alcohol or pills or people that really don't have your best interest in mind it means the world to him that you will take moments out to take these things to him in prayer our God simply asks that we do it if it's important to him I want to do that so that's the context, prayer, with prayer and petition. Well, what is that? Well, petition is kind of just a, a fancy English word for asking very seriously. Uh, that word is used a lot in a legal context where a lawyer or attorney will petition the court. Well, when someone goes before the Supreme Court, the U.S. attorney, and petitions the court, you are you're asking very seriously. Usually there's a legal brief written up and... Uh, the attorney has all the words planned and things are asked in a very serious way. And the point is not that, hey, we have to get some formula together with God or we have to write it all out, though that helps us remember writing out prayers is a good thing. And if you've ever noticed Ricardo, I think he's collecting all the prayers that he offers on our behalf. And he takes praying for us, as every person does here, very seriously. And I appreciate that. And that's how serious God wants us to take our praying, that we, we really go to Him and really ask Him. Not that we're flippantly saying, oh, God, do something about this. Oh, thoughts and prayers. Oh, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> We've talked about that, haven't we, Mary Gail? That, God's not looking for thoughts and prayers where we just throw out a, a phrase and we don't really pray. Prayer is an actual engagement where we speak to the God of the universe. We can do so verbally in our own privacy, there's many times, but most times, I will pray verbally. Though I'm the only one in the room, God is right there. Sometimes we'll pray in our head. I believe God hears those prayers as well. We have examples of those prayers. Lord, please help me, but we didn't verbalize those words. 
It's an actual exercise of speaking to the God of the universe. There's nothing greater we could do, and that's what Paul's telling us to do. With prayer and petition, Paul says, present your request to God. And we're real good about asking our friends for things. Oh, can you give me a ride? <laughs> or can you call me tomorrow? Hey, just send me a message. And we're good with our family for the most part. Hey, can I borrow some money? Kids are really good for that. Money for Friday night. Uh, even my older daughters, they don't hesitate to contact dad. One of my daughters did that recently. Lord, can you help me out? And I don't hear for that daughter a whole lot. I didn't respond in anger. How dare you ask me for help? She asked me for some financial help that wasn't a whole lot. But I decided to help her a lot because it meant I helped her more than she asked for because it meant the world to me that she would ask. And that's how our Heavenly Father feels. He could do all this for us instantly and spoil us and things like that, but what would we be if He did that? It means something to Him more than we know that we ask. So present your request to God. When my daughter communicated with me, she was very respectful, very kind in her words and made me cry. And I responded in a way that a loving father would respond naturally. And it still means the world to me to be able to do that because you ask. So when our God wants us to see him as our heavenly father, understand that when you ask him for things, Lord, I need your help with this problem that really has me concerned know that it means more than you know to him, simply that you're asking. Because he knows you could use the help already. He's omniscient. He knows everything about your life and everyone I'm pointing to here. He knows everything already. But did you ask him? When you said, had so many other people you could ask, or so many other directions you could go, but you went to your invisible but yet all-powerful God and Father and asked. That's what we are to do. Well, what exactly do you ask for? Turn to the book of James. Just kind of keep your place here in Philippians. Go forward in, to the book of James. And I want to see a, another instruction on asking God that involves the idea of wisdom. And, because sometimes it's not always clear what the answer is. Sometimes it's not clear, Lord, give me 200 bucks, and that will get me out of the situation. Uh, it's more like, Lord, help me with this career path. Lord, help me with all these bills in some way because just giving me money for the month doesn't solve my problem. Or, Lord, help me with this coworker, not just for what they said at 10 o'clock, but what they'll probably say tomorrow. <laughs> and since they're not retiring anytime soon, Lord, give me help for the next 10 years with them. Um, but we don't know exactly what to ask for, though, because... We don't know what the answer is all the time because it's not always as clear as 200 bucks. Here's what James tells the believers to whom he writes about praying to God and asking for things. He says, verse 5, chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should what? Ask God. Who gives how? Generously. To all without finding fault, and it will be 
given to you. Let me just read that again. That is so powerful. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. First response, ask God. If you lack wisdom, which means you lack the real answer to whatever problem or problems you're facing, if you're not really sure what the answer is, James just says, ask God. Ask God for wisdom. And God's response is not going to give you $5 worth of wisdom. He's going to give you what? Wisdom on a generous level. Again, recently when my daughter, who I hadn't heard from for a while, asked me for some relatively small financial help. I overabundantly responded. And I'm not saying this to brag at all. And I told her this is with no strings attached that I do this. I just paid off her bill. She just asked me for a little help. It, I wanted to do that. And that's what God is wanting to do. He's wanting to help us generously without finding fault. My daughter, I didn't question, hey, how come you need this money? Well, did, how, you, did you not spend your money right three months ago? Or I didn't put her through all that. I just recognized she could use help, and I knew she was living the way she should live already. So our God doesn't try messing with us by finding fault, or how come he didn't ask yesterday? Or do any of that kind of stuff, or how come you haven't asked before? Um, he just gives generously without finding fault, and it says it will be given to you. Well, the answer is wisdom. That's what James says will be given to us. Well, what is wisdom? I tried to break that down into three areas. I think wisdom for our problems first involves clarity, then guidance, and then strength. Let's just address each one of those just briefly. First of all, clarity. A lot of times what I need when I pray is I need to really see what this problem is. Uh, a lot of my most vexing problems are with people. Uh, not my cars. I know who to take them to to get them worked on, or I can know to ask Chris, hey, what do you think about this? I mean, those things are easy. But people problems, people are complicated. They have a lot of emotions. They have a lot of ways of seeing things that are very different than mine. Uh, they don't always do what I want them to do. And a lot of times I don't even respond the way I know I should act. So we are very complicated as people. So a lot of times with problems with people, someone that's really braiding us or making our life difficult, we just need clarity. Lord, help me to see what's going on here. Why is this person always mad at me? Or Lord, why are they seeming to be so upset about something so little? Because sometimes it's not us, but that person got triggered because something with them. So don't always think you're to blame when someone else is mad at you. And asking God for clarity will kind of help you see that, ah, this person has a lot of pain. And what I said just brought up their whole childhood. Ah. But Lord, sometimes clarity involves, Lord, help me to see that even though I didn't intend to hurt with what I said, it did hurt. When we're not sure why people are upset, or when we're not sure why we're accused of something, or when we're not sure why we can't get ahead at work, or why we did not get promoted when someone else did that perhaps shouldn't have, or why we're not in a better circumstance of life as someone of our same age, sometimes we just need clarity, and that's the first step of wisdom. 
Don't always think that the best answer is what you want. Lord, give me five bucks right now. Sometimes the best answer might, Lord, help me be in a better employment position, or Lord, help me to manage my money better. That's clarity. So pray to God for clarity. Help me see my situation correctly. That's the first thing I think to ask for when you ask for wisdom. Help me to see this situation correctly. Second, guidance. Guidance would be, Lord, show me the direction I should go. Guidance is show me the direction I should go. So if you have conflict with another person, whether it be someone at home, a parent, a spouse, an aunt, <laughs> or a friend, brother and sister in Christ, co-worker, when it's not really clear, okay, that person gets triggered a lot, but yet you're always going to be with them and you can't really help their reaction, but yet you're trying to figure out what to do, uh, simply ask God, show me what I should do. Uh, should I kind of step back from this person a little bit and give them space? Should I go talk to them tomorrow morning at 8? Should I text? Would that be received better? Should I call? <laughs> Should I go face-to-face? -face? These are all challenging personal circumstances when, when you're trying to solve a problem with someone. It's not always clear. Because sometimes an email is best. Sometimes an email is worst, <laughs> depending on the person and the, depending on the problem. So when you're asking for wisdom, asking for guidance, Lord, help me to do the best thing. Now, sometimes when I've tried to make amends with someone, I, just, I wanted to write them something so they could sit and reflect on it, because I knew if I called, that could provoke me and them very quickly if it just stirred up everything real fast. But then in other situations, I recognize I need to call that person or I need to get together uh, over dinner with them. So praying for wisdom means praying for guidance. Show me what to do and show me what to say. Sometimes when I've talked to people about difficult circumstances, I've just prayed, Lord, help me with what to say and help me especially with what not to say. Because boy, when you think you're in the right and you really believe you're in the right, I think all of us think we're in the right, right? No one's walking around deliberately doing the wrong thing or trying to say something that you know is not true. But sometimes how it's heard by others is not always how we think we're saying it. Or, Lord, help me with my tone. I got the words right, but I don't say it right. And someone keeps calling me out of my tone. Tone has more to do with our words than what we actually say. So... Getting guidance, Lord, help me to say this right. Help me not to say too much. Help me not to say too little. Lord, help me with these finances to not make smaller things into bigger things. Help me to figure out, should I pay it all off at once? Should I borrow? Should I not borrow? Uh, all these things. Pray for guidance. Because there's probably a lot of steps you can take, but what's the best step? There may not even be a right or wrong step. So Lord, what's the best thing to say to this person? Not do I talk to them or not, but what's the best thing to say? What should I leave out? That's guidance and wisdom. Number three, strength. Lord, give me the power to do what I know I need to do. Sometimes it's pretty easy. We, we, we're pretty clear. That, yeah, we said something, and we got to make it right with someone. We flew off the handle. 
or he threw out a judgmental comment that really hurt that person. And even though we don't think we said it that bad, they think they, they heard it that bad. And they were really bothered, and they're not talking to us. And you don't really want to talk to them. But you got a lot of clarity. You know you need to. You know what you need to say. But sometimes our greatest struggle is simply doing it. And as Jay brought out in his comments before the Lord's Supper, uh, Satan, he has one job, to get you to do the opposite of what you ought to do. And Satan is there to destroy you, to mess up everything. So even if you got your words right and your principles right, he just wants you not to do it. Oh, I'll call him tomorrow. I not call him at all. And things like that. He wants you to do the exact opposite of what you ought to be doing. So sometimes I've prayed in my life, Lord, just help me do what I know I need to do. It's pretty clear what I need to do. I just need power to do it. Because I don't want to. I don't want to say I'm sorry. I don't want to revisit this circumstance. I don't want to deal with this bill. <laughs> I don't want to deal with this person from my past. But I know I need to. And I know what I need to say. Lord, give me strength. So that's our part too, but one more thing. That's our part. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The final thing when we're doing our part in this process of prayer, when we're asking for things, Paul says you do it with thanksgiving, which simply means thankfulness. He's not talking here the Thanksgiving holiday, but he's talking about a spirit of thankfulness because what happens with problems, especially financial problems or things related to our career, our living circumstances, how well will we live in the future, where will I live, what will I have, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, what I shall eat, what I shall wear, what I shall drink. Those problems can be all-consuming. Hey, they have to do with how you live your life. Where am I going to live? And am I going to be able to have air conditioning? Or, or am I going to have enough food? And, and what kind of food? Those things affect our well-being on a day-to-day -day basis, but they can be overwhelming at times if we're not sure we'll have enough for retirement or if we're not sure that that raise is going to accommodate our rent increase or if we're not sure whether or not we can even keep this job because they're downsizing. Those are very legitimate concerns that Satan wants to be overwhelming. And he wants us, well, take it all to God, but Satan says, take it all to God, but pretend like he's never done anything for you. That's how Satan wants you to pray. Pray like God's never done anything for you. If my daughter, when she came to me asking for help, said, God, or I'm sorry, Dad, uh, Dad, uh, you never done anything for me in the past, but would you help me this time? Or something like that where she kind of was offending me at the same time she was asking, as if I'd never done anything for her, like those braces and <laughs> all those things had never been given and acting like I, I would never help, never had in the past. That would be upsetting. Paul says you do it with thanksgiving. Sometimes as you're consumed with potential anxiety or anxiety, just get that piece of paper out, that 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. Or get on your keyboard and go to Microsoft Word or Google Docs and, and just start. You can type it or write it. Just write it out. I have this already. I have a place to live. I, number two, I have a job. 
Number three, I have clothes. Uh, four, uh, I have people that care about me. Write down all the things you already have before you ask God for what you don't have that you would like Him to give you. Again, before you ask God for the, what you want that you don't have, write down all the things you already have. And that might go back to that clarity principle. Oh, okay. Pretty well set, but I really would like this too, or I need this, but I have a lot of things already. People that care about me, a church that loves me, I have food on the table. I know in other countries they don't have that. They don't even know if they're going to have water for this evening, but I have this already. I have a jacket. I have shoes. I have this. Write down those little things even, because those things matter. Also, you can write down, what has God already done for me? I'm just about to turn 59 years old. My God has done a lot for me over 59 years. And I'm going to need more than one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper to write down all the things He's already done for me. Things He's blessed me with I didn't deserve. Sparing me the full consequences of sin that I do, did deserve. He spared me that. He's worked out things I never could imagine would work out. Financial things got fixed, and I didn't do anything. Because Satan wants you to forget about that. He, he wants you to think that your life started yesterday. That your God has seen you through before you were even born. But Satan wants you to forget all that. So that's why Paul says, do things with thanksgiving. Make a list of previous problems that have turned out okay. Make a list of what you already have. So when that panic attack arrives, or the anxiety feeling wells up, and it's an awful feeling, you're ready to deal with it. You got your list. You wrote it all down. I will never leave you or forsake you. God says in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you won't do it in the future, that means he's also not done it in your past, and he's seen you through. That's our part. This is what you do when you decide you're not going to worry. Ask God for clarity, guidance, strength, and then do it with thanksgiving. Well, what does God do? We just talked about your part. What does God say he's going to do? Back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 now. Paul says, and, here's God's part, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right. See what God tells us that He will do when we get rid of the false friend of worry and we pray to Him instead. Paul says the peace of God which transcends all understanding will. First of all, the peace of God will come into your life when you take that time to sit down Pray to God with thanksgiving and present those requests to Him. First of all, notice what is not said. God doesn't say He's going to fix the problem in five minutes. He doesn't even say He's going to take away the problem. What? I mean, He's not going to fire the coworker that I can't stand, that i got to see every morning and work with in a collaboration type arrangement? He's not going to get rid of that person for me? No. You're not going to get rid of my parents that keep putting a curfew on me? No. 
God does not promise to get rid of the problems or the problem people. He first promises simply to give you peace about the problem if you'll go to him in prayer. Well, what does that mean? First of all, it's a peace, first of all, knowing that you took it to the one that can actually do something about it and that cares the most. There is a lot of peace to that. Appreciate when you take your problems to the right person. If I may have a problem with my knee or my wrist, I don't go to Chris. I go to Chris with my car things. Uh, there's peace when I met with a surgeon one time when I had carpal tunnel syndrome. I didn't look at all his uh, certificates on the wall or everything. I just knew he was a certified surgeon for Kaiser. And he told me what was going on here and how surgery could help. I said, let's do it. Scheduled my appointment, and that gave me great peace. Went into the surgical room that day. Everybody was ready to go, and let's do it. There's great peace in going to the right people for the right problem. I don't go to a carpenter to fix financial problems. I go to a financial advisor or something like that. But when it comes to problems that don't have an easy answer or the solution is not clear, or there's no way anyone else can fix this, I go to the Heavenly Father. And what He promises me is simply the peace from knowing you went to the right person. You ever been lost somewhere and you can't find out where to go? You, you're lost and you find someone that actually knows, oh yeah, you need, go take a left over here, and then the street, you take a right, and then it's going to be right there. Oh. Then you feel better instantly. You haven't even arrived yet, but you went to the right person and you got peace. That's what God is promising to us. You just put your problem in the hands of your Creator. And here's what you can know is happening once you did that. First of all, if the problem continues on, that means God's allowing it, which means there must be some purpose to the problem continuing. That is, the bill not being paid magically overnight. There must be some reason why it's not instantly being fixed. God's allowing it, or He's working on it. That's part of that peace that passes on all understanding. When you've taken that problem to God in prayer, there's two alternatives. If it continues, that God's allowing it, that means He's, he's working something good. Patience is producing this good and perfect work, James says. Sometimes you're just made a stronger person by getting through the problem. So He will allow it, or he's fixing it over time. God is not a microwave. Don't try to put your problems in the microwave. Hit 30, the 30 second button or the five minute button. God does his best work over time because he wants you to grow in the problem. He wants you to grow as a person. Sometimes sticking things out with a difficult coworker or sticking through problems in a marriage rather than quitting it, that will make you a better and stronger person. You understand other people better. You understand how to be more patient. You understand how to say you're sorry. You understand how to be more forgiving. Rarely do those character qualities ever come overnight. But they come through learning how to deal with things better and with people better. So God will allow things to go on longer to develop you, or he's working on it over time. And that will bring you peace, knowing you've taken it to God 
And now he's working on it or he's allowing it for his own reasons. You can't go wrong. You cannot lose when you take things to God in prayer. If the problem continues, he's allowing it or he's working on it. That's all I need to know. I didn't ask a thousand questions of my hand surgeon. I just knew he was working on it or he's allowing it. If, it, if it, the surgery could wait four weeks, all right, I can survive four weeks. That's how God is with our greater problems. Paul also says this peace of God transcends all understanding. It transcends all understanding. Just don't try to figure it out. Again, when we're having anxiety and panic, we want control. We want to control our problems because we don't want anything getting out of control. And for you out there that are fixers like I am, that you like things fixed, and you want solutions right away, and you want to get to work on it, God says, wait a minute, you cannot do that with me. You just got to trust that I'm working. You do your part. You look for clarity, guidance, strength. But still, you might still have to deal with that person or that financial difficulty or what your retirement looks like. You're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit longer, but just know I'm working. But that will give you a peace that passes all understanding. Well, some say, oh, I got to know what he's doing, though. I got to know what he's doing. I got to know what the answer is right now. I've used electricity all my life. Last few years ago, I even fixed some of the kitchen outlets in our condominium myself because I got the quote from the electrician. I said, I need to go to YouTube and I need to learn how these electrical outlets work so I don't get shocked, but also so I can fix it to plug in the toaster and other things that need to be plugged in. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos on how electricity works and flows through an outlet. And I finally understood alternating current. Wow, okay. I never saw it. I've never seen electricity. I've seen its effects. And I don't want to mess with it. I want to be careful with it. But I trust it's there. And that's all we need to know with God. We don't need to see everything he's doing. We don't need to see what he's doing with a neighbor that we have a hard time with or a family member that we're in conflict with. We just need to know he's working. I just need to know electricity's there. That's all I need to know. I don't need to see it. So don't look for God solving things. There's never a verse that says, look for God solving things. Oh, he got me in that parking spot. Oh, he did it. Don't think that you have to see it all the time. It's a peace that passes all understanding. That means God's going to be working in your world, and you may not see it, or it's happening, and you're not recognizing it. Isn't that amazing to think about? The things that God's working on in your life, He's working on it right now with someone, you just don't recognize it? That's our human weakness and frailty. So that's why I want the peace that passes all understanding. John Mulligan may not see the problem because he's only seeing this or he's watching TV rather than watching what God's doing. God says, don't worry about that. Just trust that I'm working. Take it to me in prayer. And then he says... He will bring protection. He brings peace first because you turn it over to him, which means you can sleep at night. It means you can operate with other people during the day because you have protection too. He's going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 again, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Well, guard means to protect. Uh, our bodies cannot operate on no sleep or insufficient sleep. Uh, I've read recently that law enforcement is cracking down on especially professional drivers who are driving without sufficient sleep because it's the equivalent of driving under the influence. Don't think for a moment that sleepless nights are just a novelty or something fun to share with other people. Occasionally, we're not going to be able to sleep at night. I've had those nights for whatever reason. But if you recognize that there's a red light on your dash all the time, and you're just over-anxietized about something or many things, and you're just going week by week with nominal sleep, and because you just cannot turn it off, and you've got to figure it out, you've got to solve your own problems, you're trying to operate then at work and with other people on insufficient sleep. You are living under the influence. Do you think your wisdom is going to be that good or your words with other people? you think you're going to control your anger and your tone when you can't even sleep well and you're not even operating well? No. So when you've turned things over to God in prayer, you have now given your problems over to God, cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. You put the things you cannot control with Him, you're working on what you can control, clarity, wisdom, insight, and then you're done. You operate, you can sleep at night, you can operate during the day, you can talk to people sufficiently, you're not always worked up all the time. You don't always have to have things figured out. Don't think you need a solution to your problem right now. Lord, this is not clear to me, but I want to take this to you in prayer and I want to go, and go on living. Don't think every problem has to have a solution. That's not what God is promising. That is sending you a solution through your email every day. Here's the solution to your problem. But you know your problem is in the hands of the one who can and will do something about it. That is guarding your hearts and minds. So you can go on with life and be happy, be joyful, Paul in Philippians, after he talks about prayer, he mentions the word joy 16 times in the book of Philippians. Joy is that sense of things will be all right, I can take on life, I can enjoy happy moments, I can be sad when I need to be sad, I can be even keeled, I can experience this blessing of God with me every day because I've turned my problems over to Him that I can't control and I'm doing now what I need to do. I can help my neighbor who is sick. I can write cards to other people because I'm not self-absorbed all the time. I can listen to people rather than do all the talking all the time. Your heart and your mind are now guided and guarded by Christ Jesus. Look what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 10. We're about to finish. If you're in Philippians still, look at chapter 4, verse 10. Look what Paul writes. Look at what his life looks like when he's praying to God about his problems, and he's in prison right now, falsely accused of treason against the Roman government. He says to the Philippians, verse 10, chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. What's Paul doing? Turning all the things he can't control over to God in prayer, doing all the things he can do that he should be doing. And he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He is applying what he's telling the Philippians to do. Turn these things over to God, and God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ in all these circumstances. You can go on living when you turn things over to God. When you turn things over to God, you can go on living the way you ought. And what a blessed life that is. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. This is the blessing of being in Christ. Remember in verse 7, Paul said, He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. When you are baptized into Christ, you enter this relationship of being in Christ. That's where all spiritual blessings flow, in this relationship in Christ. This is where the peace that passes all understanding is found. And if you're in Christ now, you've been baptized into Him, you've taken on His name, you've confessed Him as Lord, you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, you are in this relationship. Take advantage of its blessings. The song says, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Don't let that be the, the song verse of your life. Let it be one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.